0: Welcome everybody, TLC. It's good to have you guys. Lovely faces as always. Hey, um, yeah, I love this month, month of November. Not because it's my birth month, but we have this thing called Daylight Savings Time. How many of you guys woke up and felt so happy because you got another hour? Right? Oh, it cannot be just me. Oh my Lord. I woke up and I was like, I have another hour. The only problem was my son woke up and he said, I feel so awake, Daddy. I was like, "Oh no, go back to sleep." <laughs> right? Um, it's a good month. We got Thanksgiving this month. Um, but I want I wanna really wanna end this year, uh, in this series, on this picture of being refined and being engaging and taking the steps of maturity. Right. I think uh, we've, we've gone through seasons of, kind of, of knowledge and, and information and truth and, and information of who we are. But the, the biggest problem that we still struggle with is to step into maturity. This actual willingness to be refined. This willingness to kind of let go and let God do his work. All right? And so we're in this series called Refined by Fire. It's a letter that uh, one of the apostles, Peter, wrote. Uh, to the churches back then. Because back then, unlike today, the, the church was, it was not a, a, a major force in the world. And the church was just kind of just scrappy groups scattered throughout the known world. And they were going through a lot of persecution. Because the Roman Empire at that time, led by the Emperor Nero, he just persecuted the Christians. He just didn't like the way they did what they did. They were an affront to the cultural order of the time right? They refused to bend the knee to the cultural norms of sex, of government, of family, of power. Christians were hated back then, right, for what they stood for. And so in the midst of these hard times when they know that to be a Christian, it meant to be either you're silent, you quiet yourself, or you're going to be hunted down and killed. Husbands would be thrown into uh, slavery, wives will be raped and killed, children will be sold off to, their, uh, to other slaves and other uh, other places, right? To be a Christian meant you are putting your life on the line here. And so Peter writes this letter to them to encourage them and remind them how the gospel is meant to hold you together, how the gospel has this power to refine you and strengthen you through these troubled times. And so the situation is, is such a time, the word of God is so timeless, therefore it's timely. And it fits in every, every culture and every time. Because in our culture today, we have the same thing. We have a, an attack on the biblical idea of what it means to be a Christian. And so today, we, we, we've mixed Christianity with political system, which is I don't recommend at all. But we, 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 we take this Christianity and we've watered it down and we've silenced it. And we made it so that our faith and who we are and what we stood for and our identity is kept silent for fear of repercussion, right? Because of the very things we stand for when it comes down to how we view the cultural norms of sex, of government, of family, and of power. So my hope and my prayer is that we are called into a season today of maturity, that, that no longer will you stand silent or on the on the wayside or just a bystander while the world passes you by and not speak into and live out your life to hold your faith as quiet while the world kind of just demeans it and demeans your God my prayer is that you would have the courage the strength to stand up and say something to do something to know that it's of worth of value for you to do something Now is the season of maturity. Now is the season to grow. Now is the season to engage in our world as sons and daughters of the living God, right? And so today I want to share with you that during this season, during this time, you're going to embrace, you're going to find yourself in just a plethora of lots of difficult things that comes up. You're going to face money issue when you're canceled and you no longer can have a job Lack of self-accomplishment. When you graduate and you realize you can't get a job no matter what or you're looking and you feel like, you know, all your friends are above you or before you or ahead of you. Family dynamics, death and sickness in the home, mental health, breakups and hurts. You're going to go through a, a, a range of trials, a range of difficulties, a range of issues and my prayer is that the letter of peter encourages you how to embrace the suck and i remember i I said said that phrase a long time ago but i'm gonna say it again because i like it right you got to embrace the suck right during the season of difficulties during the season of of uh, identity crisis during the season of trying to figure out where you are during the season of hurts and pains and health issues and, and and death in your life how do we embrace the suck how do we embrace this and have the ability to come out of it refined better than when we were going into it? And so I'm gonna share with you two things today. All right, how to embrace the suck. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. How to embrace the suck. All right. Listen now for the word. This is what Peter says. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire... May be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. In verse 6, Peter says this In this you, regret, you, uh, you greatly rejoice. Right? In this you greatly. What is this that he's talking about? This is the verse 1 through 5 that he just mentioned right before this. And Peter did an excellent job with 1 through 5 just sharing us the order of salvation. What, it, what is the order of when you come to faith? In this you greatly rejoice. How do you embrace the suck? How do you embrace life when things are difficult? How do you go through breakups and hurts and death and, and trials and difficulties in your life? How do you embrace the suck? Peter says, in this you, re- you greatly rejoice. And what is this? You grasp the truth. The truth of what came before. This. And what is this? It is the order of salvation. Look what Peter says here in 1 to I'm going to read real fast for you guys, okay? To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by His blood. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This right there, one through five, is Peter's order of salvation. He's saying, First, you are loved by God from eternity. Before even time began, you were set off before God. He chose you. He sent His Spirit to set you apart. He has prepared your life in its distinctiveness and his uniqueness. He has orchestrated time, history, and place for your existence, and not only for your existence, but for your moment that you will come to know Him. And finally, when you have called, to him as your lord as your savior he uh because of what jesus christ has done on the cross he sprinkles upon you his blood which is a spiritual of saying he has forgiven you right and we grow and we grow in sanctification we grow to become more and more distinct in our lives incredibly attractive yet at the same time extraordinarily offensive to the world around us, and all during this process, God is holding us, shielding us, and no matter how far we try to run, somehow, someway, we are turned back to him, right? That is the order of salvation, and what Peter is saying, this is how you embrace the suck. When difficulties come, are you grasped by that truth? Are you grasped by that knowledge? Are you grasped by God that there is a God out there? There is a God in existence who have known you, who has loved you before time itself, who has set you apart, who has placed his spirit on you, who has orchestrated time, events, history for the coming of, for for your existence to happen, for the bringing of situations, the manipulation of time, so that you would come to a place where you would finally call out his name. And not not only does he leave you there, But he takes you and he begins to mold you, shape you, conform you into the image of his son. And then at any moment, at any moment when you feel like you need to run or hide and get away and disappear, he calls you home. No matter how far away you run, he brings you back because you are shielded and protected by him. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that we have. And Peter is saying, that is your God. And so no matter how difficult life is, no matter how much suck happens to you, this truth, this truth is meant to hold you fast and to keep you alive and to keep you moving forward and to keep you greatly rejoicing. Let me me explain what I mean by this, right? This truth is meant to be your anchor. It's meant to Hold you down. It's meant to be your center, your north point. God and who He is. He is your anchor, your north point, your center. See, but for a lot of us, here, here's the problem. For a lot of us, God is not an anchor. God is a friend with benefit. Is that true? Right? He's he's his. We 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 engage with him simply as a friend with benefit because we think that his truth sometimes is so demanding, so controlling. The reality is, is he's not. You know why? Because he alone knows what love is, not you. He knows what love looks like. He knows what, lo- what makes love flourish. He alone does this. And so when he calls us to love, it's not controlling, demanding, right? It's, it's, it's not suffocating. It's meant to show us that love is supposed to be sacred. It's supposed to be distinct. It's supposed to be committed. It's supposed to be constant. It's a sacred thing. This obedience to him is this, this relationship to disobedience to him. It's supposed to be a sacred, consistent, committed relationship. But no, what we have, you can't tell God, I don't want you to tell me what to do, God. You can't tell God, I don't want you to be a part of my life. I'll call you in. I'll call you into my life when things are going bad. And I need your blessing. Right? But then after I get that, won't you go back to your obscurity? That's not an anchor, that's a friends with benefit. So my, answer, my, my question to you is, is God someone who is an anchor for your life or is God someone who is a friend with benefit for your life? Because the only way you're going to embrace the suck, listen, the only way that you're going to embrace the difficulty that's going on in your life is not to see God as somebody who just gives you benefits whenever you want, but that he is somebody who is there as an anchor for your soul so that you will not be drift apart when the seas and the trials and the storms come into your life right? See, we love to say, God loves me. Awesome, right? God forgave me. Awesome. God blesses me. Awesome. God wants exclusive devotion from me. (sighs) I'm not so sure about that. God wants exclusive obedience from me. (sighs) I don't don't know about that. You see, you, you either you worship God or you don't. Either he is your anchor or something else is anchoring you or something else is holding you. And I pray that whatever is holding you, it's stronger than God. But through experience and through life, I know that whatever it is that anchors you whether it's your money, whether it's your family, whether it's your health, whether it's your vanity, whether it's your career I know those anchors for a fact eventually will let go. They eventually will fail. Because they're not meant to hold you. They can't hold someone as awesome as you. You were made by the divine. You were called to existence. You are in the image of God. These things cannot hold that down. But what happens if you don't, what happens when your soul and your life is not anchored down by God, you are tossed by the waves of the wind, left and right. Whatever is the norms of the day, whatever is the loudest voice of the moment, that is what tosses you. That's what moves you. That's what changes you. What I'm asking and what I'm saying is the way you embrace the suck is if you have grasped the truth of who you are before God. That you have grasped your identity. That you have grasped who he is and what he has done for you. The order of salvation, I mean, I've gone through this when 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 we went to TGIF. By the way, it's on back in the days. You know, if you guys are free, come out to Friday nights, you know. All right. TGIF, we we went to the book of Romans and we talked about this picture of how precious you are. That the, the living God, the creator of all things, the beginning and the end, the way he has crafted the world and history to bring you to the place where you would know him, where you would cross from the threshold of death to life. And not only does you cross that threshold, but then he drags you and he moves you and he grows you and he forms you and he shapes you to become more and more like the image of his son. Until the day we stand in glory before him. Until the day you realize who you truly are. Is, are you grasped by this truth? I'll give an example. I, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I, can, I can deal a lot of physical pain, right? I mean, I have a, I have a high tolerance for pain. And it's, it's not something that just came naturally for my life, okay? It has been born out of lots of suffering and trials, right, that came. And most of it came in the mission field, okay? Most of, most of my ability to endure pain came from the mission field. There was a season when I went to Cambodia, not with TLC, but with the, the, the other church. It was The first time I went to Cambodia with that place, I'm not going to lie to you, it was, it was literally the hardest mission trip I've ever been on, right? I think I got sick, and it was in the middle of like, this hot, humid time, and there was dust everywhere. And, it was when we were, we were just, all we, did, all we had to do was do VBS, okay? But there were so many kids that we did VBS from sun up to sun down, right? The morning we would have a group, and right after that group we would have another group, and after that group we have another, and I was just dancing and singing. And after the third time, we were just, we were just going through the motion. We, were, we weren't even in it anymore. We were just kind of getting through it, right? And then we went from town to town. We walked. And when we slept, we slept out in, like, um, the church area because, you know, there was no place for sleep. But there were bugs everywhere. So we were, like, we were, we were, um, we were making, like, shields and barriers with all of the, the cans of uh, insecticides that we had as much as we can. we were trying to cozy up together in just one little spot so that we can, like, you know, just keep ourselves, like, from getting infested by all these bugs, right? And I remember it was, like, the worst, the worst mission I've ever been on, just physically demanding spiritually demanding, emotionally demanding. And I was just laying there, and this is the first time I've ever complained in my heart. I said, God, I want to go home. Like, I really want to go home. right? And, and I was thinking through the whole process of how, how hard it is and how, how woe is me. My life is so difficult, right? And I was in charge of this team, and they were, they were, they were, they were, even, they were even worse. It was just the worst situation ever. And I, and I sat there, and I laid there, and I'm just thinking, man, how could I put my team through this? And how are we, how, like, who came up with this, this schedule? It's just intense, right? And I remember I laid there, and I was just laying there, and I was, again, sweating. My fever was running high. And I was just miserable out of my life. And I remember this. This will end. The word of God came so clear. It said this will end. Because this is not your home, Tony. This will end. There will be a resurrection. There will be a tomorrow. This too will end. This is not your home. Hold on to that. And that was just me thinking about my home. Back in... California is like, oh, I can't wait to get out of my bed. Can't wait to eat an actual meal. Can't wait to be out of this humid weather. So, this is not my home. Do you realize that? That when you begin to embrace, you're in the middle of these difficult times, you're struggling, you're having issues, there's breakups, there's hurt, there's emotional, physical, mental pain that you're going through. The way in which you're able to move forward and embrace it and deal with it is that you're grasped by this truth. This is not my end. This is not how it's meant to be. This is not who I am. I am a son and daughter of the living God, chosen before time, loved before time, orchestrated set apart by his spirit, orchestrated by his divine will, to come to a place, to call upon his name, to know him, to be changed, to grow, and ultimately to see him in glory. This is not my end. This is not how what brings me down. This is not the last of it. I am meant for more than this. This troubled time, this situation, it will pass, for this is not my home. See, when you are grasped by the reality of who you are, when you are grasped by the reality of where you are going, when you are grasped by the reality of the hope that is in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, all of a sudden, the difficulty, the trial, the suffering, the ups, the downs that you are facing, you face it with the greater joy because you know that this is not the end. This is not my home. There is something more for me. Are you grasped by this truth? For it's only when you are grasped by this truth can you embrace the suck. You know this. You know this. Right? This is not the end. How else can you embrace the suck? Go look at verse 6 to 7. Okay? Again, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had, you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials these have come so that your face of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when jesus christ is revealed you can embrace the suck when you come to this realization that you probably need it that is probably for sent to you for a reason And and I'm not going to lie to you, I, I know that sounds very Christianese and it sounds very masochistic and it sounds very unloving to say that right now I am going through this trial, this suffering, this pain, this horrific ordeal, and you would dare stand up here and tell me that you probably need it? God doesn't enjoy your tragedy, guys. He doesn't enjoy your grief. He doesn't enjoy the suffering that comes your way. God did not bring you from the beginning of time to here so that he can rejoice in your suffering. He brought you here. You have been placed here by the chances of life, by the choices you've made. You're here, and he knows that the only way to get you there... The only way to get you across that mountain, into the promised land, into glory, is that he has to bring this before you. That you have to endure this because it is the only way you're going to learn endurance. It's the only way you're going to learn patience. It's the only way you're going to learn consistency. It's the only way you're going to learn how to deal with life. It's the only way that you're going to have the substance, the substance to deal with what comes next. If he could find any other way to refine you, he would. If he could do it in any other possible way, he would do that. But God being God who knows the ins and outs of time, the variables of sequences of life, he knows that the only way to refine, to strengthen, and to move his children forward is to allow for them to engage in this suffering. To allow for them to go through this. See, suffering without God is horrendous. You know why? Because suffering without God is meaningless. Why is this happening? But suffering with God is always purposeful. There's no greater gift that God can give you than self-discovery. Do you guys know that? You don't know who you are until you have been placed in a situation where you have been tested. When you have to go through trials. You don't know what you are capable of until you are placed in that. And God's gift to you is that he places you through the fire, in your marriage, in your family, in your personal relationships, in your careers, with your financial stability. He places you in those situations. He allows for the suffering and these trials to happen because he knows that when his children goes through it, Those who have been given his spirit, those who have been set aside for him, when they go through it, they will come out refined by the fire. Greater than gold, the Bible says. And if you're willing to go through it with him, rejoicing in him, trusting in him, the result is on the other side, you will see why you had to go through it. And it takes trials, it takes fire. I'll give you an example. My son, he's been, um, he's been into this uh, handball thing lately, right? You guys see him play handball in that corner. Right. He's been into his handball thing. And the first time he brought the handball, he's like, "Daddy, can you teach me how to play handball?" I said, "Why?" I said, "I've been losing to this third grader, and he's just beating me all the time." And I was like, "Okay, right?" And so he, I was I was playing with him, and I was I was I was trying to show him how the the mechanics and the moves. And you know what does what, what does he do? He's frustrated. He's like, he sits down, and starts crying, and he's, and he's like, "What's wrong?" And he's like, it's just so hard. Like, I'm not strong enough. I can't do it. I'm not fast enough. How do you hit it to the left and to the right with just one hand? It's like, because I'm your dad, right? You know, but he's, he's like running around. He's freaking out, he's like, he's, and he's frustrated. And he's, you know, for a kid, that's frustrating, it's difficult, and it's a trial, okay? Let's quote, unquote, let's use that as a trial. Now, as a father, I can easily do what? Make the game easier, right? I can rig the game to make it seem like he's winning. I can hit the ball outside. And say, oh, you won, right? Or I can hit it up high, and it's oh, I forgot the court. I can easily do that, and he'll probably be like, "Yeah, I beat you, dead. Like I'm awesome." But then what? He's gonna lose to a third grader. Right? <laughs> He's gonna lose to a third grader, and so I said, "Get up, let's keep playing." I know it's hard, but let's just keep practicing. Let's just keep going, right? And then we'll play, and you'll get a little better. And then you know, I said, "You know what? You should do. You should." Um, you should test your, your skills against some of the brothers in our church. He said, okay, dad. He started asking some of the guys to play with him. And I think they're pretty nice to him. He's like, dad, I beat them. I was like, did you? I, I, can, I can beat you now. So he'll come, and then he'll play. He, and he did get better. He did get a little better, right? I said, all right. And he said, daddy, give me all your strength. I'm like, mm, I'm not sure that's a smart thing. He's like, give me all your strength. I said, I'll give you 5%. He said, no, give me 100. I was like, all right. So he hits it, and I'm like, so I hit the ball hard, right? And he's like, whoa. That was 100? I said, no, that was six, right? <laughs> you know? He's like, oh, man. You know, it's like so much more to do, right? And I'm not, not going to lie to you. Like, I, I, lo- I love my kid, and I, I don't like seeing him frustrated because, you know, sometimes you see your kid frustrated, you really want to just kind of pick him up and take care of them, you know? But I know as a father that if I don't let him go through it, he's not going to get better. If, if I just kind of just baby him and make it easy for him, he's not going to come out refined you know proudest day of my life so far with him so he came home and he said daddy I said what's up i beat him right <laughs> i was like good job son <laughs> right you can embrace the suck when you realize that god allows for you to go through it not because he hates you Not because he is a masochist. Not because he likes to see you in pain. So he allows you to go through it because he knows that if you were to go through it, and he is your anchor in it, you will come out refined, more patient, someone with substance. You guys know what I'm talking about, with substance? I'm not talking about, see, there are people who go through the fire, and they come out shallow, bitter, angry, resentful, hurt by the world around them. don't believe me look at your grandparents some of the really bitter angry ones right but there are people who come out of the fire with substance able to endure pain and situations able to overcome ups and downs roller coasters why because they have allowed for god to refine them through this fire to teach them the patience to teach them the consistency and the commitment it takes to do this the endurance the love And I know know it's still hard because I know a lot of you guys who are going through something difficult, who are facing something hard, you say, how can God do this, though? Like, why would God use this specific thing to hurt me, God, to hurt me? Why would he use this to train me? Couldn't he pick any other thing that's less painful than this to train me? The answer to that is I don't know. I don't have an answer to why you go through your specific suffering. I don't have an answer to why that specific suffering is happening to you, but I do have an answer like this. I do know that it is not because he doesn't love you. How do I know that? Because my father gave his son into the worst suffering of all, because he knew that at the other end of it would be you. The Bible says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus Christ was the only one in every faith, every system of belief. He is the only one who has been said to have endured the same wounds you have endured. To have gone through it much worse. And if God did not spare his son, knowing that in this suffering, in this suffering, Jesus... You will bring forth something beautiful. That's why even when Jesus said, if it's your will, take it from me. But not my will, but your will be done. He he was sad. He was facing it. He was crying out. He wanted another way out. But he was willing to do what? Embrace the fact of who his father is. His father is a good father. He is the eternal father who loves his people, and he was willing to go through it because he knew on the other side he would be bringing sons and daughters home. I don't know why you go through your suffering, but I know that it can't be because he doesn't love you. He was troubled by it. He sweated blood the night before. He endured an unbelievable amount of agony. He wasn't exempt from the pain, and when you can see that, church, when you can realize That your suffering in this relationship with God is not a suffering that's like him trying to punish you or him trying to hate on you, but the suffering is that him loving on you, allowing you to go through it so that what comes out of you is something beautiful. He didn't exempt his son. Actually, his son was the prime example for us. If Jesus can go through it, So can we. If Jesus can go through it for us, then we can go through it as well. With the promise of what? This is not the end. There is a tomorrow. Another day is coming. Our home is not here. Glory is ours. So my church, my prayer is this. Whatever it is that you're going through. Whatever it is that you're going through the first thing you have to ask yourself is, am I grasped by the truth of who God is? Not not a friend would benefit here, but that God is my anchor. He is my north point. He is my center. He is my foundation. He is my rock. Have you been grasped by that? Do you put that as your foundation? And two, do you have the courage to go through it, knowing that whatever happens... God would use this for something more beautiful. Because he brought his son through it. So if his son can endure it, I can too. So our prayer, if you're having hurts out there today, if someone you know is going through some mental health issues, if you're going through a breakup, if you're going through some issues in your families, if there's some trials, some difficulties, let us pray for you first and foremost. Please send out your prayer requests. We would love to pray for you. But secondly... I pray. I pray that the words of Peter written to a bunch of Christians in the Roman Empire who were being slaughtered that they were known. I pray that you would have the courage to embrace what's happening. To walk together in this community. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. Walk with us. Let's pray.